Colossians 1. Everybody there? Getting there? Working on it? Lord, we thank you so much this morning that we are your precious sheep, blood-bought, that you gave your life for us that we might have life. You've been so good to us, Lord. We just want to thank you this morning for your goodness, for your grace, for your care, for your love for us, for how you cherish us, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that you would protect us, please, God. Help us, Lord. We need you, more of you, less of us, more of your work in our lives and in your church a fresh work this morning within each one of us. And we thank you for the great things that you are going to do this morning. Oh God, may we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, that we would correctly divide your word and correctly apply it in our lives, that we might bring you honor and glory, that your name would be hallowed in our lives, in our homes, and in your church. And so we thank you, Lord, and we commit this time to you now. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, your precious and holy name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. All right, so remember, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that, um, remember, he didn't plant this church. He didn't pastor this church. It was probably a church that was birthed out of his time in Ephesus, those three years I just mentioned a minute ago from Acts chapter 20. Probably the gospel uh, spread from, the word of God spread from Ephesus, maybe through, remember we were introduced to this guy, Epap, what was his name last week? Epaphras. We met this guy, Epaphras, last week, who it's possible that he's the one that planted the church. We know that he pastored the church. We know that he was involved in the lives of the Colossians, and he's the one that had brought word to Paul about the church at Colossae and how they were doing. And where was Paul, by the way? Paul was in prison in in Rome. So Epaphras has traveled from Colossae all the way over to Rome, and he tells Paul, wow, you would not believe what's going on in the church. Remember, faith, hope, and love, those three building blocks, those three components, those three spiritual building blocks that are so crucial in our lives, not just theological concepts, up in our noggin, but real, real concepts that are in our heart. And, and so faith, they had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They had hope. They had hope in their lives of heaven. And not only that, they, they had love. Their love was abounding towards all of the believers in the church. And isn't that what we're to be known by? Is that what we're to be known by, our love for one another? It is, isn't it? And so, so Paul's like, oh man, that is amazing. We're so thankful, as he's writing this, this letter, we're so thankful for the, the work that God's doing in your lives. And now as we get into the next, where did we end last week, by the way? Verse, we finished verse eight. All right, so verse nine, Paul will begin a prayer for the Colossians. And can I just encourage us this morning to tune into this prayer? Because this is a spirit-inspired prayer right here. Would that be good if it's spirit-inspired? Yeah. This is, this, is a, this is a prayer that has the stamp of the Holy Spirit right here. This is a great prayer. If you're ever wondering how to pray for me, right here. It's in these words that Paul shares. 
And so let's check it out. And by the way, remember, there was false, teacher, false teaching and false teachers that were creeping into the church at Colossae. And so Paul is bringing them back to the simplicity and the supremacy of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. And so he begins his prayer in verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. I'm going to stop right there because Paul finishes his prayer and he just begins all of a sudden to go off on telling the Colossians, telling us this morning, reminding us of who Jesus is, and it's so beautiful. But isn't this prayer great that we read here? He says, verse 9, number 1, for this reason, for what reason? Since all that radical stuff is going on in the church, Paul says, me and Timothy, we, from the first day we heard about your lives, from the first day we heard about the church in Colossae, all that's going on, we have not stopped praying for you. And we are called to pray without ceasing, aren't we? To pray without ceasing. So Paul not only said that or communicated that, but he also lived it out in his life, continually praying for others. And what's the ask? What's the request? Number one, that you may be filled, that you be fully saturated with what? With the knowledge of his will, of God's will. And remember, we talked about this last week. God's will means his desire or his choice, right? When we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done means your choice, Lord, your desire for my life. Here's what I'd like to see happen, but I'm leaving the choice with you. And so Paul prays here that they would know God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And spiritual understanding is kind of like connecting the dots spiritually. You guys remember connect the dots? Right? No? It's when you, have, you connect the dots and it makes like an animal. You, know, you got one, two, three, four. You know what I'm talking about? But, that, but God wants to do that in our lives, is to help us to connect the dots spiritually. Do you know what I'm talking about? You see things happening in your life and you're wondering, why is this going on? What's happening here? Why this fiery trial that I'm going through? Why this? Why is this happening? And there's sometimes, listen, there's some things we don't understand, but when we don't understand something, we need to lean upon the things that we do understand, the things that we do know about God and how he operates. And so we go back to the word of God. Do you guys want to know God's will for your life? That's about like 30% of the room. Do you guys want to know God's will? For your... No, I don't care about God's will. I'm just going to keep doing my will. Well, then keep having a burden in your life and emptiness. It's like, God, is, think God's will's a bum, is God's will a bummer? Is he, is, is he saying, oh, you know what? I just really want to make their lives miserable. 
Real bummer. No, it's what's best for us. Our Father knows best because he sees the big picture. He knows all the details. Do you trust the Lord that he knows best? Hopefully we all want God's will to know his will. And it's God's wisdom and understanding that help us to know God's will. Did you see that? The wisdom and the spiritual understanding. These two things must be increasing in our lives that we might know more of his will for us. Where do we gain wisdom and spiritual insight? His word. The word of God. It says in 2 Timothy, you guys know these verses. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Did you guys catch that? You are complete with your Bible. You are, what does it mean to be complete? Does that mean you're lacking anything? No. You're complete. That's all you need. Do you know that that's all you need is your Bible? No way, pastor. I need to have this. I need to have... That's not what we're told here in the scriptures. You are complete with your Bible. What does thoroughly equipped mean? You need something else? You're thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's why the word of God is so crucial, so vital, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, that we might know God's will. We might know his heart. We might know him more. In fact, look what he says in verse 10, back in Colossians 1. He says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, that your walk would match your talk, Mm -hmm. that you'd be the real deal in your life, not lip service, but a genuine walk with the Lord, to live according to what we know, to what we receive from the Lord. That's a worthy walk of the Lord. In other words, what we learn would translate into our daily lives. Do you know what I'm saying? That's where the rubber meets the road, is in our personal relationships with one another, the things we are learning from the Lord, through his word, that's where, that's where it matters, and that's where we establish a worthy walk, and we are fully pleasing to him, making Jesus completely happy. You know, the Bible teaches us how to please Jesus. By the way, he's really the only one we need to please. It is bondage trying to please other people. It, it's bondage trying to please yourself. Just give that some thought for a while. But really, it... All he wants us to do is to trust him, to walk by faith. It's not hard to please. And the Bible teaches us as we work our way through the word of God, being fruitful. Look at verse 10. What else? Paul prays that every good thing the Colossians do would bear amazing fruit. Listen, every day while we are still here, while we are still sucking air, guess what? There's opportunity to love others, to care for others, to minister to serve others, to bring comfort to others, to share the gospel with others, that we would bear fruit to the glory of God, be fruitful in every good work. And then Paul prays that they would increase in the knowledge of God, that they would be growing in knowing, and that word knowledge means knowing personally, not just getting a big swollen head full of Bible Bible trivia, because some people, that's all they do is... You know what, I just want to prove how smart I am or how good I'm going to do it. Is there a Bible trivia game? I don't even know. Is there? I just want to show how cool I am with Bible trivia. But Paul's like, no, that you would not just know a bunch of info, but that you would know the Lord more personally. 
getting to know him, walking with him. And so Paul prays here that what they learn from God's word would translate into their daily walk, a personal walk with the Lord. And then look at verse 11 with me. He says that they would be what? Strengthened with all might according to God's glorious power, that they would be totally empowered. How glorious is his power? It's amazing. It's majestic. His strength. But notice what, it's interesting what for, look what he says, for all, what's the first thing? All patience. (laughs) That word, remember this word patience? In the Greek, it's hupomone. Hupomone. It sounds Italian, doesn't it? (laughs) Hupomone. It means to bear up under a weight. And it speaks of being patient in our circumstances. Because there's some, sometimes we go through difficulty, isn't there? Heavy circumstances that we need to bear up under it. And who gives us the strength to bear up under it? The Lord does, right? He's speaking of God here. God gives us the strength. And Paul's praying for them that God would give them the strength to do that. Isn't that a great prayer? I need that prayer. Do you need that prayer too? Great prayer to pray for one another. But not just that. His strength for all long suffering. You know what that means? Suffering long, being patient with people. <laughs> so, hupomone speaks of circumstances. Long suffering speaks about bearing up under with people. Do you guys have any difficult people in your life? No? Maybe you're, maybe you're the difficult person. <laughs> so, it's quite possible. No, I don't have anybody. I know I am. Listen, I know I am for sure. I'm glad the leadership here, they put up with me. They give me so much grace, and I'm so grateful. But we, do, we need his strength, don't we? To be patient in circumstances and patient with people. And here's the deal. Not just to tolerate them, not just to put up with them. Oh, yeah, I need strength just to put up with these bozos. But notice what it says. What's the last two words of that? With what? With joy that I have strength and do it with joy. Oh, this is so great. Thank you, Lord, for bringing these people into my life. Hallelujah. They're difficult, but I know you're doing a work in me. Listen, God's strength is available to all of us, by the way. It's not just some super spiritual Marines, the few, the proud. This is for all of us. His strength is available to all of us. God supplies the strength we need. Remember what Jesus said to Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so we admit, Lord, I'm weak. I need your strength. I'm having a hard time dealing with this circumstance. I'm having a hard time dealing with this person. Oh, God, help me. And what does he do? He gives you the strength to do it. With joy. The joy of the Lord is our Strength, And so Paul prays what? That the Colossians would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And listen, as God speaks to our hearts, we get into the Word of God. He speaks to our hearts. He teaches us. He gives us instruction on how to, how to walk through difficult circumstances, walk with difficult people, to love people, to bear with people, to forgive people. And what does he do? He couples with his instruction the power to do it. That's amenable stuff, I, I, would, I would hope, because it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Amen? He gives us power to walk worthy. 
He's calling us to, 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 to walk worthy. He gives us the strength to walk worthy. He gives us the strength to what? To live pleasing lives to Jesus. He gives us what we need to be fruitful. Do you guys catch that? And Paul prays for that. And so he says in verse 12, giving thanks, that they would be thankful to the Father for what? For making us eligible and establishing us to be a part of what God's children will inherit. Isn't this beautiful? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Paul is reminding them we need to be thankful for what? For what God has done. Did you see that? It's God who made us fit for heaven. He's the one who qualified us. You don't qualify yourself for heaven, do you? Oh, I'm qualified to be in heaven. I, none of us are qualified. It's God who qualifies us. It's God who makes us fit for heaven. You don't make yourself right before God, do you? By what you do. It's by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. Jesus did it all. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute here. He wants us to trust him. We, and we don't come short in anything, by the way, as we read this. Because we have everything in Jesus. And so let me ask you a question. Do you still appreciate what God has done for you? Amen. Are you appreciative of what you have in Jesus Christ? Yes. Are you content with what you have in Jesus? Because here's the thing. I mentioned this last week. He has given us all we need. P Peter tells us he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. It, of his fullness we've all received in grace upon grace. There's a danger of being seduced. There's a danger of being ripped off. We can become vulnerable when we leave that place of thankfulness and gratefulness. Are you with me? Because it's really, it's difficult to pull a thankful person away from what they're thankful for. And Paul's like, listen, we give thanks to God for what he has done. And Paul's going to remind us in just a few minutes here, man, our, as our lives are marked by thanksgiving, he reminds us of what we can be thankful for this morning. And so God brought us out of the worst into the best. Look what it says. Do you guys know that? God brought us out of the worst and brought us into the best. Look what it says. He, speaking about the Father still, what has he done? He has delivered us from the power of darkness... And conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Is that good news this morning? Amen. It is, isn't it? So Paul begins here talking about, again, what God has done. God has rescued us. Delivered means to, to rescue from something and pull you to himself. It wasn't just like God rescued us and just said, okay, now, you know, fend for yourself. He rescued us and brought us to himself is the idea from what? What does it say? From the power of, power of darkness. Remember what darkness was like in your life? Powerful. We were blinded, jacked up, asleep, empty, out to lunch, hiding stuff, 
and he delivered us. God snatched us out, brought us out of the power of darkness. And look what it says. It says, he conveyed us, he snatched us for himself from the realm of darkness, in which we were once living under the power of, and he conveyed us, he carried us away, is the idea. He took us out and carried us away into, what does it say, the kingdom of the Son. Who's the Son? Jesus of his love. He carried us away into this marvelous kingdom. It's beautiful, isn't it? To be part of God's kingdom. In ancient times, it spoke of transferring a conquered people to the conquering kingdom. And he conquered our hearts with his love, didn't he? And he's brought us into his kingdom. And notice his kingdom is marked by what? By love. We are the object of his love. Glorious. His kingdom, the kingdom of his love. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Lord, that we are part of your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, that you're the one who delivered us. And that's why we're called to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We've been delivered. The reality is God delivered us from the power of darkness. It's not just a a theological concept. It's what happened in our lives, Christians. My brothers and sisters, it's a reality. It's to be lived out in our lives. And then Paul reminds us, notice in verse 14, he reminded us, number one, of what the Father has done and now what the Son has done. In whom, in whom speaks of the Son, Jesus, we have redemption through what? Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In whom? In Jesus, we have redemption. What does redemption mean? We've been bought. We've been bought back from, or the ransom has been paid in full. It speaks of prisoners or slaves being set free, a ransom being paid. That's the ancient picture, is a prisoner or a, or a slave, someone coming to set them free, paying the price, the full and satisfying price to set them free, but not just to set them free into the world, but to set them free for themselves. And what has it been done with? What was the payment made with? The blood of Jesus Christ. His shed blood, the life he gave on our behalf. The price for our release was paid by the blood of Jesus. And notice the forgiveness of sins. Anybody thankful for the forgiveness of sins? Is that just our past? No. It's our present and our future. All of our sins washed away. I mean, that's the good news this morning, isn't it? The glorious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your sins have been forgiven. Past, present, future. Nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He paid the price. We didn't pay the price for ourselves. Jesus paid the price for the forgiveness of sins. That word forgiveness means to send away. They're gone. Full pardon. Isn't that beautiful? Full pardon. And and I'm praying that that would free some of us up this morning that deal with condemnation. Because for some of us, man, we damaged, we not only did damage to ourselves, we did damage to others. Mm -hmm. But there is therefore now no condemnation. 
for those who are in Christ Jesus, who no longer walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. Listen, condemnation is from the devil. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. If you have someone accusing you, they're doing the devil's work, by the way. And Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you and for me. Our sins are forgiven, forgotten, gone forever. And we sing that song, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You guys, maybe you don't, you don't sing that. I sing it sometimes. Is that the right, maybe it's not even the right tune. It's okay. But remember when John the Baptist looked at Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's only one way to be set free. That's by Jesus. The penalty of sin has been dealt with. The power of sin has been broken in our lives. And one day we will be set free from the presence of sin altogether when we step through the veil into eternity in the place where Jesus is preparing for us in the Father's house. Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead has provided the way for us to be forgiven and to be set free. Amen? Notice verse 15. He, speaking still of Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all, we're going to see all along, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So who Jesus is and what he's done, Paul again is reminding the church of this. The supremacy of Jesus Christ, the amazing work that he's done for you and for me. And you know what's beautiful here is that he's telling the truth about who Jesus is. Do you know that's something you and I can do? Remember what they said about John the Baptist? This man did no mighty miracle, but he did tell the truth about Jesus. You may never do any mighty miracle, but that's one thing you and I can do is to tell the truth about who Jesus is. And Paul is telling us the truth, and this is so crucial, and again, in the day and age we live in also, where there's so many false teachings out there, so much nonsense out there, these are some beautiful, powerful, strong statements that Paul makes here about who Jesus is. And number one, he is the image. Look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. That word image is icon. We get icon from that word here. And it means two things. It means the likeness, the exact representation. Like you see a reflection in the mirror, you see your face, that's the idea. Or icon also speaks of, check this out, speaks of a manifestation to make something known or evident. In other words, you can clearly see it. Jesus is the likeness of the God you cannot see. He's not kind of like God. Jesus is the exact representation. Remember what Paul or what John said, or John, I'm sorry, what Jesus said to Philip. If you've seen me, you've seen the you've seen the Father. And then also Jesus said, I and my Father are, are one. 
It says in John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. The author of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, speaks about Jesus who is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. That's the idea here. And so if you want to see God, you look at Jesus. You want to know God, look at Jesus. We learn what the Father is like by looking at the, at the Son. Jesus is the faithful witness, correct? He is, he is the faithful witness. Witness of what? Witness of who the Father is, his character, his nature, his attributes. I, this is so important because some people think, you know what, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. No way, man. Malachi, God said, I am the Lord, I changeth not. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't you guys hear that sometimes? Oh, the God of the Old Testament, he was like, you know, he was like a mafia boss. And, and Jesus is a little more mellow, and he's trying to mellow the Father out, you know. No, 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 no. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. God is fully revealed in Jesus. His character, his nature, his attributes, all that he is. In fact, if you flip forward in Colossians, Colossians 2.8, no, 2.9, speaking of Jesus, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, isn't that good, who is the head of all principality and power. Beautiful. Notice what else it says back in chapter 1, verse 15. He is the firstborn over all creation. And then, so this verse has been so twisted. By the way, Jehovah's Witnesses and some other cults, it's misunderstood by many. But when you study the word and you look at the context, is context important? It's absolutely crucial we read... Because people can pull a verse out of the Bible and kind of twist it and make it say whatever they want it to say. The problem is the context will not allow what some of those cults say, what people twist this to say. Jesus is not part of creation. He is not a created being. He is the creator, is what's being communicated here. And so the firstborn, protokos, in the Greek, it describes priority in time or the first one there, or the first one in line. You guys ever get first in line? No? I'll get you out of here, Costco, first in line for samples. Get you out of here real quick this morning. First in line. It also speaks of supremacy of rank. It speaks of being preeminent or sovereign. Jesus is before all things, and he is supreme, is the idea. He's the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the creator. He's over, the firstborn, over all creation, over everything that's been created. That means he rules. He reigns over everything. Why? Look at, for is a reason word. For by him, by who? Who are we speaking of? Jesus. Jesus. All things. How much is all? All. All, all things were Created. Jesus is the author of all creation. Did you see that? Listen, Jesus is holy. 
There is Jesus and then everything else. He's the creator, everything else, creation. He's holy. He's unlike any other. Separate, distinct. He is the Holy One. We learned on Wednesday night, knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Do you know Him? If you want to have understanding, you need to get to know Jesus. To spend time with Jesus. This is what we're doing this morning. We're getting to know Jesus, aren't we? We're getting to know His attributes, His nature, who He is, what He's done. Can I encourage you to meditate on these things? Can I encourage you guys to meditate on those things? Because what begins to happen, you start to meditate on these things, who he is, and guess what you gain? You gain understanding. Oh, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's my dad. Oh, that means he's going to take care of me. All things were, we're going to read in a minute, all things were created by him and for him. That means I belong to him. He's bought me with his blood. I belong to him. Does he take care of the things that he buys? And you start, to, you start to meditate on this. And you gain understanding. You see, you understand what's happening around us. Oh, I get it. God said that in his word. And he is, why isn't he not doing anything? Because he's patient. Not willing that any should perish. Aren't some of you glad he didn't come back five years ago? Ten years ago? Some, 20? He's coming. And then wrath coming. Seven years of tribulation, man. Break those last holdouts and the stubborn will of the Jewish people. But he's coming. He's patient right now. But don't misinterpret his patience, you know, for, for his approval of sin and what's going on. So you start to meditate on who he is. He reigns over everything. You know that means he's in control? Oh, I... What's going on? It seems like everything's out of control. Everything's under control. He's sovereign, is he not? Is he sovereign over your life? Is he working all things together for good in your life? Can we chill? Or should we just freak out? You know what that says about our God when we freak out? We're saying you're not in control. We're saying it depends on us. It doesn't depend upon us. Right? We're such, we are control freaks, though. Right? We got to control everything. It's, it's hard for us to say, okay, Lord, you're in control. I trust you. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. For by him, all things were created. All things stand created by Jesus in heaven, on earth, visible. That's what you can see. Invisible, what you cannot see. Thrones, dominions, principalities, powers. Um, it seems that Paul goes a little in-depth here talking about the angelic realm and all the hierarchy and, and, and the rankings of angels. And, and, and what is being communicated here is that, you know, Jesus made the angels. Do you guys know that this morning? That they are created beings. I'm, I'm going to make a big deal about this because Paul is later in the, in the letter. Because guess what they were getting involved in? The worship of angels. This week, I heard all about angels and and it's a danger. It's a da- listen. It's a danger for any one of us 
to worship something else but Jesus. It happened to John. Remember in the Revelation? He's cruising around with tour guide angel. And he's seeing all this amazing stuff. And then the last chapter of Revelation, what does he do? He falls down before the angel and worships the angel. And the angel's like, get up, dude. Uh, that's, I don't know if that's what he said. He's like, get up. <laughs> Worship God, he said. Because the Lord is the only one worthy of our worship. In fact, in Hebrews, that's the, that's the first like, major point that the Apostle Paul, well, whoever you think he wrote Hebrews, you're entitled to your own distorted opinion this morning. <laughs> but the, that whole book is about the supremacy of Jesus. That Jesus is greatest. He's greater. He's greater than the angels because he created the angels and the angels worship him. Are you with me? Paul's making a big deal of this. A lot of strange ideas about angels out there. And listen, don't get me wrong. Angels are glorious beings. Sometimes we entertain them, it says. And they minister to those who will inherit salvation, which is us. It's like the last verse of of Hebrews chapter 1. Man, they're glorious. They're help. They help us. They do stuff. Whatever it is behind the scenes and in our lives. But they're not worthy of our worship. Only Jesus is. Amen. Bottom line, Jesus made everything. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, super creative. Is he not super creative? Amen. He knows how everything should function. He has given us order. He has the authority over all because he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. All things... Verse 16, notice what it says. All things were created through who? Through who is it talking of? Jesus Jesus still and for him. For who? For Jesus. Are you part of all things? Are you part of all things this morning, gang? You know what? Not only are you fearfully and wonderfully made by him, but you're made for him too. A relationship, to know him, to walk with him. And listen, until you are doing what you're created to do, there's going to be emptiness. You're not going to be fulfilled. You're not going to be satisfied. Because you and I were created to have a relationship with him. Do you know that this morning? It's the reason we were created. Some people say, oh, we were created to worship. Uh, Well, that comes out of a relationship. Amen. Oh, we were created to serve. Yes, that comes out of a relationship. I got married, or I had kids, not to worship me. Right, parents? Did you have kids to worship you? Like, do you want them to bring your Barbies? Gracious daddy. Luke brings his Thomas the Train. Here we come in adoration. It's not why we had kids. How about to serve you? Do we have kids to serve us? Honey, how about a few more? Like, you know, uh, look at how they did the lawn. A couple more, we can get them doing the hedges. And they're great serving us. Is that why we have kids, to serve us? If if that's why you had kids, you need to repent this morning. It's for the relationship. Behold what manner of love that we might be called the children of God, and that is what we are. What manner of love he's bestowed upon us that we might be his children. He made you, he made me for him. 
to have a relationship with him. And life is found in connection with Jesus Christ. He goes on, look at verse 17. And he is before all things. Who's he? Still speaking about Jesus. If he's before all things, you know what that means? He predated creation. He is... He's creator. Starts with E, rhymes with eternal. He's eternal. He's eternally existent. He's God. In him, all things consist or all things are held together. It says in Hebrews 1, you can look at it later. Hebrews 1, I think it's verse 3. Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. Yes. Atomic glue, it's Jesus. Who's going to hold your life together? It's Jesus. Who's going to hold your marriage together? It's Jesus. Who's going to hold your home together? It's Jesus. Who's going to hold your ministry? It's Jesus. We need to look to him. Always, gang. All things. He sustains all things. He's actively involved in holding all things together. It tells me he's in control. Verse 18, and he is what? He is the head of the body, the church. Who's he there? Jesus. He's head of the body. What's the body? It says right there, the church. Right? Paul uses this analogy, this illustration for us. We are body parts. Jesus is the head. And that word church means called out ones. Ecclesia. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've been called out, we've been set free from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his love, of the son of his love. It's glorious. We've been called out and called unto a family, unto a body. And since he's the head, we get our orders from him, don't we? Do we get our direction from him? We do. He calls the shots. He does. The church belongs to who? Church belongs to Jesus. He's the head. He builds a church. He promised to, didn't he? I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. He provides for, cares for, sustains the church. He is the good shepherd who cares for his flock. And so he, call, he takes our lives and does special stuff in us and through us. He's the beginning. He's the chief. He's number one. Is he number one in your life this morning? Before you answer that, would you stop and just think about that? Is Jesus number one in your life? This morning, it's a very simple question, but it's—it's—I think it's pretty profound. Is he? Does in other words, does Jesus have the preeminence in your life? Because if he's number one in your life, it's all going to work out. One and your money and your career could be number two and three. It's literally in the Hebrew: no other god in my sight. He's to be number one. He's to have the preeminence in our lives. If he's number one, guess what? It's all going to work out. Life will work for you. He's also what? The firstborn from the dead. What in the world does that mean? He's the first one to rise from the dead. Who are we speaking of? What's his name? Jesus. He's the first one to rise from the dead, never to die again. Are you with me? Lazarus got raised from the dead, didn't he? Yeah. Can you imagine the bummer that dude had? He goes to heaven and has to come back. Man, what are you doing? 
I don't know if that happened or not. We'll find out one day. <laughs> but why? Firstborn from the dead. Why? That's a reason word in all things. Jesus may have the preeminence. He's the greatest. He's the supreme. Can I remind us this morning, you and I have an answer in the face of death. Firstborn also means there's going to be more to follow later when it says that. And that's all of all those who have died in Christ to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We take our last breath here. It's our first breath in his presence. Jesus said, because I live, so you too will live. And so Paul knew they needed to know Jesus because we can get off track, can't we? Can we get off track sometimes? And we get back on track and we stay on track when we look unto Jesus, when we get our eyes back on him. What a reminder of who he is this morning. Should you panic? Should we worry? Should we fear? Should we get ticked off? No reason to. We can rest in our Savior. Amen? Our good shepherd this morning. We're out of time. It's a bummer. We'll pick up next week. Sound good? In Jesus' name. Read ahead. Lord, thank you so much. What else can we say, Lord? But thank you for who you are and all that you've done. You are great, Lord Jesus, and greatly to be praised, to be worshipped and adored. I pray, Lord, for my precious brothers and sisters this morning, for those perhaps that have got their eyes off of you, that they'd be reminded to turn their eyes unto you, to look unto you, the author and finisher of our faith. That you would truly be number one in our lives, in our homes, in your church. Thank you that you've given us everything we need. You didn't leave us as orphans. You gave us the Holy Spirit. You've given us your word. You've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And it's all by your grace, Lord. Thank you. We praise you this morning. And this